April 13th, reading through the Bible together. What the world? It's the April 13th edition of Reading Through the Bible Together. This is the podcast where we read through the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. And uh, as a reminder, this podcast is just me sharing my thoughts with you as I read the text for the first time. And uh, then hopefully you listening with your family and friends, sharing the text together and sharing with me your thoughts, because I really believe the Bible comes to life when we read it together. And um, for me personally, as an auditory learner, it's always been easier for me to have somebody read the Bible to me. And um, also just time uh, is much easier for that. And that's why we're doing this podcast. You can listen to this podcast while you're working, working out, driving, um, and of course, you're not going to probably comprehend as much as if you were to sit down and read it in one reading, uh, but you're going to comprehend a lot of it, especially if you are listening and uh, then sharing your thoughts with others. Uh, so with that said, let's jump in to our Old Testament reading today, Joshua chapter 7, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 2. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward, and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Let's pause. Uh, if you remember yesterday, we read uh, that uh, somebody had disobeyed God's command, and until Joshua uh, dealt with the sin that was within Israel, God was not going to be with them. Now, this scared them because they were battling some countries, and they were going against one that was supposed to be easy, the country of Ai. And they went in with 3,000 men, and they came out like dogs... Uh, with their tails tucked between their legs. I mean, they, they ran out of there, 36 of their men died, uh, and they were they were terrified. So God says you got to find the sin. The way you're going to do it is you're going to call out the tribes. I will point out a tribe. Then once I point out a tribe, I'll point out a clan, and then I'll point out a family, and then after I point out a family, I'll point out the individual. Kind of like a funnel. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why God did it this way instead of just telling Joshua who it is, but this is the way that God chose to do it. So that's where we are. I'm going to pick back up in verse 17. Then the clans of Judah came forward, and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward, and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward, person by person, and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent, with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. Kind of a crazy ending, but uh, we see Achan um, 
chose money and possessions over being faithful to God, which is incredibly relevant, is it not? Uh, in fact, I would say a lot of us choose money and possessions over God. And the reason a lot of people will not repent, uh, which means to turn from your wisdom to Jesus' wisdom and truly follow Jesus and trust in him, is because you, you might have to give up some of your possessions. In fact, Jesus says, I, I want it all. It's all used for my glory. And unfortunately, for some people, they would rather use money for their glory. And that love of money keeps them from God. That's why Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. For if you serve money, you will hate God and vice versa. Chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. So Joshua and all the fighting men set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors. So instead of 3,000, Joshua said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go in with all of them this time. And sent them out at night. Verse 4. With these orders, hide an ambush, close behind the town, and be ready for action. When our main army attacks, the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town, for they will say, The Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then, while we are running from them, you will jump out from your ambush and take possession of the town, for the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire, as the Lord has commanded. You have your orders. So they left and went to the place of ambush between Bethel and the west side of Ai. But Joshua remained among the people in the camp that night. Early the next morning, Joshua roused his men and started toward Ai, accompanied by elders of the town of Israel. Sorry, elders of Israel. All the men, all the fighting men who were with Joshua marched in front of the town and camped on the north side of Ai, with a valley between them and the town. That night Joshua sent about 5,000 men to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of the town. So they stationed the main army north of the town and the ambush west of the town. Joshua himself spent that night in the valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites across the valley, he and all his army hurried out early in the morning and attacked the Israelites at a place overlooking the Jordan Valley. But he didn't realize there was an ambush behind the town. Joshua and the Israelite army fled toward the wilderness as though they were badly beaten. Then all the men in the town were called out to chase after them. In this way, they were lured away from the town. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not chase after the Israelites, and the town was left wide open. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Point the spear in your hand toward Ai, for I will hand, it, hand the town over to you. Joshua did as he was commanded. As soon as Joshua gave this signal, all the men in ambush jumped up from their position and poured into the town. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, smoke from the town was filling the sky. They had nowhere to go. For the Israelites who had fled in the direction of the wilderness now turned on their pursuers. When Joshua and all the other Israelites saw that the ambush had succeeded and that smoke was rising from the town, they turned and attacked the men of Ai. Meanwhile, the Israelites who were inside the town came out and attacked the enemy from the rear. So the men of Ai were caught in the middle, with Israelite fighters on both sides. Israel attacked them, and not a single person survived or escaped. Only the king of Ai was taken alive and brought to Joshua. 
When the Israelite army finished chasing and killing all the men of Ai in the open fields, they went back and finished off everyone inside. So the entire population of Ai, including men and women, was wiped out that day, 12,000 in all. For Joshua kept holding out his sphere until everyone who had lived in Ai was completely destroyed. Only the livestock and treasures of the town were not destroyed. For the Israelites kept these as plunder for themselves, as the Lord had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned the town of Ai, and it became a permanent mound of ruins, desolate to this very day. Joshua impelled the king of Ai on a sharpened pole and left him there until evening. At sunset, the Israelites took down the body, as Joshua commanded, and threw it in front of the town gate. They piled a great heap of stones over him that can still be seen to this day. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from stones that are uncut and have not been shaped with iron tools. Then on the altar they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And as Israel Israelites watched, Joshua copied onto the stones of the altar the instructions Moses had given them. Then all the Israelites, foreigners, and native-born alike, along with the elders, officers, and judges, were divided into two groups. One group stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and the other in front of Mount Ebal. Each group faced the other, and between them stood the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. This was all done according to the commands that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had previously given for the blessing of the people of Israel. Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. That's the end of chapter 8. Uh, before we move on to just the two verses we're going to read in chapter 9, I think it's interesting there at verse 35, it says, Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel. Uh, you see, for many years, for in fact, I would say the majority of human history, uh, the way the scriptures were read was in community. First off, not everybody was literate enough to be able to read. It's kind of only the elite. Uh, so if you wanted to hear the words of God, you literally had to hear the words of God read to you. Uh, and then number two, without the printing press, which has, in the, in the grand scheme of human history, came relatively not very long ago, uh, before that, which is the majority of human history, it just was, wasn't practical to mass-produce writings or words. Like, you had to transcribe everything that was written. So there was only a few copies, uh, generally. And so the, the words were read, which means that this, this new phenomenon we have of every person being expected to read the Bible by themselves every day is, is really um, not uh, what we see over the course of human history. Uh, and in fact, I think more people would be good to, like we're doing in this podcast, read the Bible together. So you listening to the words of God is not a new thing. It's a very, very, very old thing. Now, that said, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with reading the Bible privately and devotionally. It's an amazing gift we have. We should never give up that gift. Uh, the printing press is uh, something from God, I truly believe, that every man and woman and child can have a Bible now is amazing. And we must continue to fight uh, so that everyone around the world can have a Bible in their hands. Uh, as Americans, we're very privileged, but there are still many languages and, and tribes that um, do not have a Bible in their language, and uh, we want to be a part of the fight to change that. Verse nine, or sorry, chapter nine, verse one. 
Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. These were the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jebusites, who lived in the hill country in the western foothills, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. Lebanon Mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. That concludes our Old Testament reading for the day. And moving on to the New Testament, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, How much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, Take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, Take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Pause. What in the world is this parable? Okay, so Jesus is telling a story about uh, a man who is rich. He has a guy working for him, and evidently this guy is supposed to go collect the bills, the invoices, from the people who have bought things from him. Well, this guy finds out he's being fired, and so what he does is on his last day, he goes and he tells all these other rich guys who had bought something from his owner uh, that he's going to cut their bill down. And uh, why did he do that? Well, because he knew he's going to need a new job tomorrow. And these guys are going to remember the, the guy who came and cut their bill in half. Yeah, of course I'm going to have a place for you. You did me a great favor. Now I'm going to do you a favor. And Jesus says, we ought to live like that guy uh, when it comes to the world. See, Christians, people who believe in Jesus, we've been given the gospel, uh, which is good news. What is the good news? Well, Jesus came and he lived the life you couldn't. He died for your sins and he's given you or he's imputed to you his righteousness if you trust in him as your savior. The good news part is uh, that you've been forgiven of your sins you have the Holy Spirit and dwell in you to make you more like Jesus and empower you for his mission now, but also that there is an eternity uh, of everlasting life in the kingdom of God, complete and total paradise. It is our hope uh, that we have as Christians. We believe we will be resurrected as Jesus was resurrected and live ultimately and totally with him in the kingdom of life without the presence of the kingdom of death, which is here now. Jesus says Christians live in light of that hope. So most people... And people who do not have a hope just live for now. I want to get as much as I can right now, and my money now is what matters. Christians know there's something coming up later. And so we live in such a way in which we're making friends now, we're giving towards the kingdom of God now in a way that wouldn't make sense if we didn't have a future hope. But since we live in light of eternity, we do things now that are going to set us up for favor in the next life. So Jesus would say, this is why it makes sense that you give your money to gospel works. This is why it makes sense that you love the poor and you care for the widows and you care for the prisoners. 
because this life is not just about this life. It is about the eternity that comes after this life. Verse 8. Uh, sorry, verse 8 we already read, but I want to read it again because I love the way the NLT says this. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. We need to be a bunch of dishonest rascals. All right, pick it back up, verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You cannot be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wow. I love the one-year Bible. I, I did not read this before I read it to you. And you remember, I quoted this very verse in uh, in the Old Testament reading. Uh, we saw Achan was, um, was uh, serving uh, possessions and, mass, and, and uh, money and the robe and the beautiful things instead of trusting in God and listening to God. And whew, Verse 13, what do we see in the New Testament? Jesus' own words. Uh, I quoted this very verse. I had no idea. It was in our New Testament reading. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I just believe somebody needs to hear this verse today. And I believe all of us need to reflect upon our lives and ask ourselves this question. Do I serve money or do I serve God? In what areas of my life am I tempted to serve my possessions and not my God? Because if you're an American like me, you live in a first world country and we all have areas where we are tempted to serve our money and possessions over God. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. That concludes our New Testament reading for the day. Very good one, in my opinion. Moving on to our proverb of the day, Proverbs 13, chapter, or sorry, verse 2 and 3. Wise words will win you a good medal. But treacherous people have an appetite for violence. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> wow. What a, uh, what, a, what a good verse there. Uh, right now as I'm recording this, I'm thinking of uh, a race car driver. So I, um, I'm a NASCAR fan. Don't hold it against me. There's a race car driver in the news right now at the time I'm recording this who, um, who said one word, uh, a racial slur uh, that he should not have said. And uh, regardless of how you feel about whether the punishment is too strong or too light, what, what's true in the matter is that he has lost everything. He's lost his, um, his contract. He's lost millions of dollars. And he was at the top, the highest of his sport. And now he is wondering if he's ever going to get back. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. We will be praying through the 82nd Psalm today, uh, and as always, I would recommend that you um, you stop anytime you feel the urge to pray and pray. And honestly, the best way to pray is just throughout your day, um, to have this time where you pray in the Psalm, 
Um, but just as you think of the Lord or you think of somebody, take some time to pray for them. This is a psalm of Asaph. And our boy Asaph has been giving us some really long psalms, but he mercifully is giving us eight verses today. A psalm of Asaph. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Interlude. Lord, it can seem that way to us. You are the high judge. You have all the power, all the strength. And yet there's some things that happen that just don't make sense. The people who um, are destroying faiths by running industries that capitalize on killing humans, objectifying humans, threatening humans, people made in your image seem to make more money, while those trying to do good seem to hit roadblocks. And Lord, we can see things in which there's disease, and we wonder why you don't stop it. There is sickness, and we wonder why you don't heal it. And yet, Lord, we must remember that we too are wicked. And that what we deserve is punishment, but what we receive is mercy and grace. Lord, let us be people who are like the Apostle James, who in James chapter 1 says that we are to count our trials as joy because you are using them to mature our faith. Lord, it's okay for us to be upset, and we are sometimes. But Lord, we must remember that even if we don't understand it, we may never understand it until we are with you in glory that it can be used for good, and it will be used for good if it's in the lives of one of your children. You promise us that in Romans 8. Lord, use our, trial, our trials and our struggles right now for good. Build us into the people you want us to be. Verse 3. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Yes, Lord, we ask that you do that. Deliver people who are hurting, deliver people who are under the power of evil men and evil women. And help us, Lord, be people who are a part of helping the poor and the orphan. Lord, we know you help them through your people, through us. Lord, give us a hunger. Give us a desire to help those who need help as you've helped us. Lord, because spiritually we were poor and you came and made us rich with Jesus. Spiritually we were orphans and yet through Jesus, through his his blood, his death, and his resurrection, his perfect life, Lord, we have been made children of God, no longer orphans. Help us to live that way in the world around us. Verse 5. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say, you are gods. You are all children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Yes, Lord, let us never forget that these are your nations, that even the most mighty and powerful of all rulers will die and fade away like the grass, and yet you will remain. Lord, we ask that your judgment comes upon those who are ruling evilly, whether over a nation or over an industry. Bring them down, Lord, for your name's sake. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining me for the April 13th reading through the One Year Bible. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did, and we will see you back here tomorrow for another episode of Reading Through the Bible Together.